Well, listeners, hello. Welcome back to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where each week we're talking about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. I'm Jeff Bruce, one of the pastors here, back from vacation, somewhat rested and refreshed, but excited to be back with you, Dad. How are you? I'm good. It's good to be back get in the habit of doing podcasts. Here. I'm glad that we, we are skip, reestablishing we the, the habit once again. So today we're going to continue our discussion about the habits of a disciple maker. And if you've been listening to this series, you should know by now that that word disciple maker, it's just another way of saying Christian. Disciple maker is a Christian. A Christian is a disciple maker. If you believe in Jesus, that means you're a follower of Jesus, and followers of Jesus help other people become followers of Jesus. Disciples make disciples. If you've been saved from sin, you've been saved for disciple making. And so, because we have been saved to be disciple makers, called to be disciple makers, we're talking about the mechanics of Disciple-making. How do you do this? How do you make a disciple? And we are using Robert Coleman's classic book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, as a springboard for our discussions because Coleman is trying to just show us how Jesus made disciples. And that has to serve as our template for making disciples because, after all, we are following Jesus. (laughs) So, Dad, we've looked at habit one of a disciple-maker, selection. We've also looked at association, And last time, uh, we looked at consecration. And so today, believe it or not, we're going to look at another Asian. (laughs) Impartation. Jesus chose his followers. Jesus hung out with his followers. Jesus expected his followers to obey. But fourth, as Coleman says, Jesus gave himself away. He imparted his life to his followers. Dad, what do you think about that? I I think this is one of the more esoteric chapters of the book, but I think it's helpful when you think about it. Uh, I think that... Un- I agree. Unlike, unlike when we follow human teachers, Jesus gives us himself. He, uh, he, his love for us is our motive for following him, and he gives us a spirit to empower us to follow him. So I think in making disciples, we need to keep emphasizing that Jesus is both our motive and our means for, for following him. And otherwise, we will end up making disciples of ourselves rather than of Christ. Hmm. That's good. I agree. The chapter is more esoteric, but I think there are still some things to glean oh, that are practical. There really are. Yeah. There really are. So Jesus gives himself away, and as you said, he is unlike other teachers, where you're just setting an example, then do this, do this, do this. Jesus is actually the one enabling us to even follow him in the first place. Right, right. And I think the fact that he, he, it's his love that really motivates his disciples to follow him, the fact that he has given us, given everything for us, given up everything for us, so it assures us that he's not out to, to ruin our lives or anything mm-hmm. else, but he has really already demonstrated that he couldn't love us more than he does. So that becomes our great motive in following him. And then, because he comes to live in our lives and to make us like himself, uh, he also becomes the, the means by which we follow him. Right. And, and I think where we get messed up is in following him is, one, we forget the motive. Mm-hmm. We, we doubt his love for us, um, and we either try to perform and earn it 
Mm-hmm. Or we, we worry when, when circumstances would say he doesn't love us. Or we depend on ourselves. We depend on our own strength and discipline to, to follow him rather than living by faith in the power of his spirit that lives in us. This is good. I think another way of saying that and something we talk about here is, is gospel centrality. And, and that when we think about following Jesus, it has to be gospel-centered. And what I mean by that <laughs> is that following Jesus is something we do in response to what he has already done. Right. And I think that's what Coleman is, is, is getting at here, that the disciples had every reason to follow Jesus because they saw the way that he gave himself to them. Right. We love because he first loved us. Right. And ultimately what Jesus calls us to do is something he has already done for us. Right. The, the model has already been set because Jesus has already um, given himself to us. So um, you have freely received, freely give. Right. Love one another even as I have loved you. Right. Um, right. No, he's the model. Um, he, we do it. We love uh, each other because he loves us mm-hmm. and as he loves us. Right. All those things. That's good. And I think Paul's saying in Galatians, um, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of Him who loved me and gave Himself up for me. It's that the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith yeah. in Christ. That's I think that's the kind of the central part of this whole impartation idea. Yeah. Yeah, because Jesus gives Himself to me, I can give myself to others. Right. And, and there's two facets of it here that I feel like we're talking about and that Coleman is, though he doesn't make this distinction as clearly. Um, there is doing things in response to what Jesus has done. And that ultimately gets to the cross, that, right. that because Jesus laid down his life for me, I will lay down my life right. in service to him and others. Right. And that's the gospel motivation. And and then there's this idea that Christ is still giving himself to me. Right. It, it's a once and for all thing on the cross, but now it's a continual thing because he's given me the Holy Spirit. Exactly. The, the other comforter that he will send uh, yeah. that Jesus talks about in John 14. And so Jesus' love at the cross is my motivation. The means, though, is Jesus' continual ministry to me through the Holy Spirit. Right. That he has given me everything I need to do ministry. Um, he's given me all the power I need. Um, in the person of the Spirit. Yeah, yeah. And and if we neglect that in making disciples, then discipleship can become a self improvement po- process. Right. It just it just it will grind you into the ground because uh, it just it's greatly wearying because it's a process. Only the Spirit can give life. And, uh, yeah, and, and also if we don't focus on our current acceptance with God. That we as disciples are already accepted by God. Right. Um, we're going to be ground up. Yeah. Uh, by this process. Oh yeah. Because because if we just focus on the give up everything, uh, leave everything to follow me, the cost of discipleship, the cost of we we keep hammering the cost of discipleship. Well, much like Jesus' own disciples, we're going to fall short many times, and 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 in a sense might even despair of ever meeting the standard. <laughs> Because there's always an area we can be improving, always an area we can be growing. And so if we don't start with the fact that Jesus has already given away his life for me, um, I will quickly lose my motivation. And it reminds me of a a story that one of our missionaries, Greg Lillistrand, 
told, where he was in Italy uh, in an incredibly difficult mission field and just seeing very little traction. And, and he was getting kind of disenchanted with his role there. And he asked the question, is it worth it? Mm-hmm. Is this really worth it to do mm-hmm. this? And he realized that's not the question a disciple asks. It's not, is it worth it, but is he worth it? Right, right. And I think that's really the difference between kind of legalistic discipleship and gospel-centered discipleship. Yeah, yeah. That the fuel to keep going is Jesus has already given everything for me and still gives himself to me. So it is worth following him right, and obeying him. Right, right. Yeah, and and because he has given me everything, do I live a life of dependence on him? Right. Do I act like a person who believes not only... Did he give everything for me? But is he now giving me everything I need? Right. No, that's good. Yeah. So making this more practical for how we make disciples, um, how does this affect the way we make disciples? That's a good question. I, I, I thought of several ways. Um, I think that constantly reminding your disciple uh, that his relationship with Christ or her relationship with Christ uh, is the reason they obey, uh, not the desired result of obedience. Um, right. You know what I mean? And the, uh, in other words, the reason I love my neighbor is not so that my neighbor will think well of me <laughs> or, or not so that my neighbor will, will be a more comfortable person. It's because it pleases Jesus. And right. when Jesus is pleased, who lives in me, I... I find joy. It's what Jesus said in John 15, 9 through 11, which has become one of my favorite passages, go-to passages, uh, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Right. These things I say to you that my joy may be in mm. you, and your joy may be made full. That fullness of joy is comes from experiencing Jesus' joy within me, right. and Jesus is happy when I obey him. Right. So that becomes my motive for obedience. It's not yeah. something... To enjoy the life Jesus has for me. Exactly. That's the whole focus of, of discipleship, is really enjoying my relationship with Jesus. Right. That's why I follow him. It's not some external reward. It's not, uh, it's not something other than Jesus, but Jesus becomes the reward. Right. Not only the motive, but the reward for what I do. And so... Um, when somebody say, I, I want to be real careful when I'm working when I'm working with disciples that they're doing things for the right reasons. Right. They don't have an unrealistic expectation. Well, I obeyed and I I wasn't successful, or I obeyed and and people got mad at me, or I obeyed. That's not really the issue. The, issue, the reason we obey is because we're following Jesus. Yeah, so, I like that. So that's one thing. Another thing is, is I think it's really important, and, and this has been foundational for me, is to help your disciple to realize their ident- new identity in Christ, mm-hmm. who they are as a new creation, who right. they are as a result of what Christ has done in their life. Yeah. Because we have been programmed to think of ourselves one way by sin mm-hmm. for years and years and years, and it takes a while to begin to think of yourself as the new creation and the person you really are. So that's why I try to get people to memorize Romans 6, because mm-hmm. I think understanding Romans 6 and what happened to us the instant Christ came into our lives, that uh, the old man was killed, a new man has been resurrected, and that new man is now given the power through Christ to obey 
Right. Uh, it, that is absolutely, absolutely central. Yeah. Um, so I think that's I, I, that new identity is absolutely essential. I, I, I don't think a person can be a disciple until they understand who they are at, from the time that Christ came into their life. Yeah, and linking that back to impartation, yeah. you could say, because Jesus has done these things for me, I can do these things, yes. right? Is that's the that's the way it relates. So um, I don't have to sin because Jesus has made me a free person in Him, right? Right. Who is no longer under the yoke of sin, right? And right. that's a very different motivation than simply, well, I shouldn't sin. Yeah. The difference between I shouldn't sin and I don't have to sin is profound. It is. And if you think you're, if you think the the, the deck is always stacked against you, mm-hmm. that you will always fall to temptation, then you'll always fall to temptation. Yeah. Um, and As a man thinks, so he is. Exactly. But I think Paul's point in Romans six is that grace not only forgives all our sins, grace frees us from the power of sin. Right. Um, that that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Yeah. He, and he did. Mm-hmm. And so he creates a new humanity. Yeah. Who now have the power through him to do what God wants us to do. Yeah, living in a new kingdom. Exactly. Under a new king. Right. So it's it's like my my friend Holy Hubert used to say, God not only uh, cleans up the cobwebs, he kills the spider. Yep. And uh, that's all that's all grace. I, mm-hmm. I that's so that's another thing I think it's real important to emphasize. Yes. Yeah. Good. You've got more. I've got more. <laughs> I've got some too, but I'm not sure where to interject them. So okay. you give yours, and then I'll give mine, That's great. and, and okay. uh, we'll go from there. Um, the point, summarizing that, that, that we don't need more power from Christ. Mm-hmm. We just need to use the power he's given us. That's, that's what I like to emphasize. I think another thing is to remind your disciple of the ongoing battle between the flesh and the spirit, mm-hmm. that being in the battle is the normal Christian life. Yeah. Uh, if you walk by the spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Mm-hmm. Galatians five sixteen. So there is. Uh, I'm always going to have one set of desires that is pulling me towards sin, mm-hmm. and one set of desires is pulling me towards God, and just, right. and that's normal, and not to resent that because right. that will be the case um, uh, as as long as we're in this body. And I think it's important that people have an unrealistic expectation that kind of the older I get as a Christian, the holier I will become, and so I I will eventually not have these temptations. That's not the case at all. In fact, the temptations increase, and they need to see that as just the normal Christian life and rely on the Spirit to do the right thing in the midst of those temptations. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, the desires of the flesh wage war against right. the Spirit. Um, and so, I, you know, our new identity... Um, gives us the power to obey. It, it doesn't make o- obedience an automatic or easy thing necessarily, because right. there's always new uh, territory to claim. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, and that that takes me to number four here um, is that to remind the, your disciple how the spirit works in his life. That yeah. it it is full engagement. Um, it, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, mm-hmm. because as God is at work within you, both the will, work and the will, is good pleasure. So the Christian life, the spiritual life, is not passive. It's not yeah. sitting back and waiting for the Spirit to obey. Mm-hmm. But I choose to obey, confident that the Spirit in that instant will give me the power to obey. Yeah. So the implication there is, because Jesus has given you the Spirit, you have the power to act. Um, 
rather than assuming that because Jesus has given me the Spirit, the Spirit's just going to do what the Spirit does. Spirit's going to Spirit. So I don't have to do anything. Um, Exactly. And and that gets back to things we've talked about in previous episodes, that that grace doesn't make obedience unnecessary. Grace makes obedience possible. Right. Um, Or I like how J.I. Packer said it, the Christian life isn't let go and let God. It's trust God and get going. Exactly. That's perfect. Perfect. Um, And so what that means is don't expect to feel the surge of power before (laughs) you make the decision to... To, to put on the gas and, and go somewhere. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's as I step out on faith, feeling weak and afraid and, and everything else, that's when the power of the Spirit kicks in right. to, to help me to, to, to do it. It's not resurrection, then death. It's death, then resurrection. Exactly. It's the Christian life. Exactly. Over and over again. So yep. I just think that it's just giving people, helping people to practically learn how do I experience the power of, of Christ in my life? Because there's so much... Uh, misunderstandings and misconceptions out there about how the spirit-filled life actually works. Yeah, and um, I, I just think it's important if if we're going to emphasize the power of Christ living in us, right. we have to help people to see what that really means. Yeah, here's how we access that power. Here's what we do, and, and it's interesting because the term "filled with the Spirit," um, which Coleman gets really pumped up about, yeah, um, but doesn't really explain how to be filled with the Spirit no. in the chapter. It's it's not. It's only used one time by Paul, yeah. I think, and yeah. then uh, it's often used by by Luke. Um, but Paul tells you how to be filled with the Spirit. He he goes on to list the means by yeah. which you are filled with the Spirit. Yeah, and he talks about worship as a means, singing psalms right. and hymns to one another, uh, and spiritual songs, gratitude, showing thankfulness to God as a means of being filled by the Spirit, submitting to one another in the fear of of Christ. So laying down your life for other people, here's how to be filled with the Spirit. And that's really important because what he is saying is there are ways we situate ourselves to access the Spirit's power. Here is what you do to experience the Spirit's power. And that's a very different idea than maybe this image of, well, being filled is I just have to sit there and kind of let the Spirit wash over me. And uh, it's like a superhero powering up or someone in a video game. And then once I'm powered up, then I go do things. No, you do things to experience the Spirit's power. Right, right. And I, th- I think along with that, what is it? Galatians, God is not mocked. Mm-hmm. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. Mm-hmm. He who sows the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Mm-hmm. He who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap etern- uh, eternal life. And so there, the sowing, there is, a, there is an action that, that deepens my relationship with the Spirit. And, right. and the things you said, also the Word. The Word is the sword of the Spirit. I right. cannot really have a relationship with the Spirit except through the Bible. So right. the more of the Bible I'm reading, studying, meditating on, and applying, the more real the power of the Spirit comes in my life. Right. The more, well, and the more fuel I'm giving Him exactly. for fire. Exactly. So it's really, it's more of a relationship picture. Uh, just like you have a relationship with a per- another person... Right. You you can deepen that relationship mm-hmm. by uh, by spending time with them and doing things with them and talking to them, getting to know them. So that's more the relationship with the spirit. It's not a uh, an impersonal force where you just kind of go unconscious and let it take over you or something like that. But it's more of a an actual intentional relationship. Yeah, that's really a more new age view of of what the spirit is or something is oh, this yeah. sort of force that that takes us over uh, as opposed to the the biblical picture which is he's a comforter, he's a counselor, he's an advocate. He talks in the book of Acts. Yeah, yeah. He's a person. Yeah. Uh and 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 so we relate to him as one of the persons of the Trinity and here's how we access his yeah. power. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, I was thinking about in in First John two. It says, uh, "You have no need of man to teach you, mm-hmm. for his anointing teaches you all things, and as it teaches you, you abide in Him." That that one of the primary ministries of the of the Spirit is to teach us, mm-hmm. and it's as He teaches us, as we listen to Him, right. we abide in Him. We our relationship with Him grows. Right, and again, that is teaching us through His Word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. the The final thing thought I had about this. Um, is that to remind your disciple that the Spirit's goal in his life is to make him like Jesus. That, yep. That's that's the real goal here. And so to cooperate with that prop process rather than resist it, to see that everything that happens to him is a tool, a discipline, a training to make him like Christ, and and to just use those things to calm down <laughs> and and, okay, Spirit, what am I supposed to do here? How, how, what do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. I trust you to, rather than resenting those things. Oh, I didn't need, I didn't need this traffic jam today. I, I didn't need this. I didn't need that. And to continually being angry that things aren't going the way I want them to go, but being confident they're going the way God wants them to go because God has a different objective for my life. And it's the spirit in me as I depend on him that, that causes those things to happen. Yeah. That's a, a huge one, um, because if we don't embrace that reality, that here's what the Spirit is doing in my life, then we have a competing goal yeah. with God for yeah. what our lives are are about. And I, I think of a few biblical connections here. One is John 16, where Jesus says, the Spirit's role is to glorify me. Right. Um, for he will take what is mine and give it to you. So the, the Spirit's role is to reproduce the life of Jesus in us. Yeah. That's that's what the Spirit is operating in our lives to do, so that we look more and more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, what does Jesus' life look like? Well, it was the way of the cross yeah. and then the resurrection. Yeah. And so we are not greater than our Master. We are following Him, and we are going to suffer like He suffered and learn obedience through suffering. And so... The Spirit is going to glorify Christ, which means display the character of Christ. How is he going to display the character of Christ in the world through us? Well, it's going to be through Christ-like people. We're going to look like Christ, which means suffering, testing, challenges are inescapable to becoming like Christ. They are not incidental or coincidental details in the Christian life. They are God-ordained and what the Spirit uses to make us like him. And they're not punishment. Yeah. They're not... You know, it's not, oh, I screwed up today, God's punishing me. No, it's not that at all. No, it's Hebrews 12. God is treating you as sons. And yeah, for, you know. training you, disciplining yeah. you. It's, it's why the disciples could rejoice when they suffered shame for Christ's name. Right. Because they know Jesus suffered shame for them. Right. And so they're just following in his steps. Yeah, wow, we really are looking like Jesus yeah. <laughs> because we're walking in his road. That's Ex- a great encouragement. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That glorification doesn't happen in this life. Right. Um, and... and and so I think yeah. just cooperating with the Spirit, realizing He's not passive. Yeah. He is actively working in our lives. Yeah. To work and to will His good pleasure. Right. And His good pleasure is Christ-like people. And yeah. so rather than resisting that or ignoring that, right. being in tune with that and, and, and learning every day, learning the lessons I'm supposed to learn from this day, yeah. rather than getting angry or resenting 
that things aren't going my way. If they're going my way all the time, then I'm probably the one who's in charge here. That's a terrifying thought. It is. Those are my things. What do you think? I like that. Well, getting back to this idea of Jesus gives himself. Mm -hmm. That's our starting point, right, Mm -hmm. for thinking about discipleship. I think one thing I would always... I always want to do with people I'm discipling is get them to the, to the why for what we do things. And I would call it the gospel why. Mm-hmm. The, the, and that gets back to motivation. Mm-hmm. So anything we are asked to do in the Christian life is something we do in response to what Jesus has done. Mm-hmm. And so really fleshing out what that means. So mm-hmm. if we're in, and, and see, I think this can apply to any area of life. I think Paul actually does this in his letters. Um, the gospel indicative comes first, and then there's the imperative. And so when I'm talking about um, money, for instance, with, and, and, and the idea of being more generous, well, why should we be generous? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, because Jesus has been generous to us, because God has given us Jesus. That's why we should give, right? So there's my, there's my why yeah. for giving. Um, why should I love my wife sacrificially? Because Christ loved me sacrificially, right. Ephesians right. 5. Um, why should... I honor my boss at work. Well, that's Ephesians 6, because I'm working as unto the Lord, and I should work in response to Christ. And, right. and I have a Lord who became a slave for me, and so I should serve right. the Lord and the job he's given me. Does that make sense? So, so any facet of life, there's a gospel why. There's a, because Jesus gave himself to me in this way, I will give myself to others right. in that way. Right. And it's not, it's deeper than just example. Right, it, 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 because it's it's something done for me. It's not just that Jesus did all these things to give me an example. He also did them on my behalf. Right, and and that's what inclines my heart to want to follow Him. Right. And I just I think that's something I want to go back to all the time with the people I'm discipling. That's good. And I would add one one more level to that. Mm-hmm. He he did them because he loved us. He did it to give us an example. But he also did it because this is the way human beings were designed to live. And, right. and it's until I live the way Jesus lived, I will never know satisfaction. And, right. that, and that's why I love that verse that says it's enough for a disciple to become like his master. Hmm. That, 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 that's what's satisfying. That, because that's what, that, that's all, the only thing that will be enough is not for me to please myself but for me to, to become like Christ. And the more be, I become like Christ, the more I will be experiencing life, the life that God designed me to experience, because Jesus was the happiest of all men. Right. That's good. So we've covered a lot here. Yeah. And it's because Coleman wrote an unclear chapter. So really, it's <laughs> yeah, his fault. We can take it anywhere. Because we can take this anywhere. Uh, but I, I think the, the big points we're getting at here with this idea of impartation is Jesus never simply made demands of people. Right. He always went first in giving himself. And Jesus continues to give himself our power. And so understanding what we have in Christ right. is key to following him. Yeah. Because without understanding what he has given us, we won't have the motivation, we won't have the means, we won't have the model, Right. and I wish I could come up with some other M's right now, um, <laughs> but those are the ones I can think of. Uh, motivation, means, model um, for what we're supposed to do, and we'll burn out in the Christian life. Well, be- we will, because it will not be Christ-centered discipleship. Yeah. It will be law-centered discipleship, our rule-centered discipleship, yeah. our success-centered discipleship, uh, our self-centered discipleship. It, 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 Jesus has to be at the center 
of this whole process. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think to your point, they're kind of an outcome-centered discipleship. Yeah. Um, is one of the most disastrous things that happens is that, well, because we're supposed to multiply disciples, if I don't see multiplication right now, um, then I'm not doing the right thing. It's like, no, multiplication's hard. Yeah. And, and it gets back to your point about Jesus wants to give us joy. Right. And the joy comes when I act like Jesus. Right. Not when I see all of the outcomes I wanted to see. Yeah. yeah. No, I just think of that that passage I, in Luke 10 when the disciples come, the 70 yeah. disciples come back and they've seen incredible success. Yeah. They've seen, I said, Master, even the demons are subject to us in, in your name. It's just, it's, it's amazing the power <laughs> we have. Right. And Jesus says, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your, your names are recorded in heaven. In other words, find your joy in your relationship with God. Right. Not in the outcomes. Yeah. Because if you find your joy in the outcomes, that's that will that can easily become idolatry. Yeah, yeah, and and that idol will fail you. Yeah, it will, because the outcomes always change. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, I think that's a great place to leave off. Um, so, yeah, that that is our motive. That is our means. What Jesus has given us, what Jesus continues to give us, right. and we have to understand that to have the endurance and the, the sustenance we right. need to, to keep following him. Great. Well, next week we'll look at demonstration and how Jesus set an example and what that means for us as disciple makers. So listeners, hope you benefited from this very broad-ranging conversation. If you're totally confused, that's okay. Um, but uh, yeah, hope you found some nugget that you can take and apply to your life. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.